2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. When they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant, that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. As we pray, I ask that you'd pray for me today. I've been sick for the last couple of days. I feel strong enough to preach this morning, uh, but I'll need the Lord to help me uh, to make sure my voice does not go out. And so you just pray for me and uh, pray for God to have His way with this service. Father, we are grateful for Your Spirit, God, that we feel here this morning. God, we're thankful for the holidays that bring families together. God, that bring visitors into the church from time to time. And Father, uh, allow us the opportunity to worship. God, with others that we would normally not have that privilege to worship with. Father, we believe, God, that You have a desire to work here, not only this day, but in this hour. God, I ask now that You would anoint me with the unction of heaven. God, to preach not in my own strength, not out of my own mind, or even out of my own heart, but God, to preach this morning in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Right now, Father, we take authority over every evil thing, God, that would try to divert our attention from You, that would try to distract what You're wanting to do this morning in our hearts. We pray, God, that You'd help us, Lord, to give Your Word the undivided attention this morning of our minds and our hearts. God, I pray You'd help me not to be long, but God, to say only what You'd have me to say, nothing more, nothing less. And God, we ask that You'd save sinners this morning. God, that You'd deal with our hearts. God, that Your grace would be magnified. God, this morning that You would turn people to You. 
Lord, have Your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, it is an interesting period of time. King David, so far, his, his ministry and his kingdom have just flourished beyond his wildest imaginations. He had spent years running from Saul because Saul refused to step down from the throne even though Saul had heard from the prophet Samuel himself that he was no longer considered the king of Israel by God and that God had anointed another. And so David had spent years running for his life. He had spent years sleeping out in pastures. You know the famous psalm, Psalm 23, that that I lay down in pastures and, and, and beside the still waters. I believe that when David wrote that, he was writing about real, literal events in his life as he was hiding for his life from Saul. Well, at this stage in time that our text begins in this morning, Saul has died. All of Saul's household that was uh, any um, uh, part of the throne has also died. David has been named the king. And David's kingdom has absolutely flourished. There are some commentators that believe David's kingdom spanned as far as 60,000 square miles. At this stage in David's life, there was not one single battle that his armies had lost. Every battle he had fought, they had won. He was a victorious king. All was well. There was nobody that was a threat to his kingdom. Everything was going as good as it possibly could. And at this stage in David's life, he asks himself the question, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan was Saul's son. And Jonathan was David's friend. Jonathan was the one who warned David of his father's plot to kill him. Jonathan came to David. He said, David, my father is going to kill you. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan told David this. He said, David, I'm going to do some work. And I'm paraphrasing. But he said, I'm going to do some work to make sure that I'm right about this. But my father wants to kill you. And if I can confirm that my father wants to kill you, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to warn you, and I'm going to help you get out of this place so that my wicked father does not kill you. And Jonathan said this to David. He said, David, when you get out of this place, and when God anoints you as king, please remember my household. It's an interesting promise that he asked of David. He didn't even say, remember me. And it's a good indicator that Jonathan understood because of the wrath that God would pour out on his father. Because Jonathan understood that he was a prince to the king and that he was the rightful heir to his father's throne. More than likely, Jonathan also understood his life was going to be taken from him. That when all the war came down and when all was finished, not only would Saul be destroyed, but so would Saul's sons. So Jonathan said, David, whenever God elevates you to the place that God has promised, remember me and my household. Now, in our text, David remembers that promise that he made to his friend. And he asked the question, is there anyone left for Jonathan's sake that I can bless, that I can show kindness to? 
Can I tell you this morning, there are some here that God is wanting to show kindness to. There are some here this morning that whether you know it or not, the providence of an Almighty God who knows where you are, who knows what you're going through, He cares about you and He has come to you and He wants to show you kindness for His Son's sake. So the Word comes out and it comes back to David and the Word is, yes, there is one left. His name is Mephibosheth. And... Mephibosheth is lame in both of his legs. We find out the reason why in 1 Samuel, actually 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. I'll read it to you. It's a short little verse. How did this man Mephibosheth become lame in his legs? Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was about five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth's story is a really tragic story that ends in marvelous grace. But for the sake of helping us really enter into the story this morning, I want us to think about the life of Mephibosheth. I have a son. He's also five years old. Those of you that know my son know that he could probably whip any one of you in a sword fight. He would probably take the lightsaber and you would have the sword. And he always makes the rules and no matter what you do, He wins. You can't do that move or you can't swing the sword that way. Only He can do it. I think about Mephibosheth at that age. His father was in line to be the king. His grandfather was King Saul. No doubt, growing up, all that he saw was men in armor riding their horses. He saw the the army out training and sword fighting and going through all the things that they do. No doubt that as a little boy, his, his father had, had got him all sorts of toy swords and, and, and things. That, and Mephibosheth had in his mind the thing that all young boys do, but his was a reality that one day he might grow up to be a prince. And you know what it's like to be five. You're unaware of all the tragedies of the world and unaware of all the sometimes pain and suffering that the adult world is going through. And to you, it's just bliss. It's just fun as a child. This was Mephibosheth. But one day, everything in his life changed. One day, something tragic outside of his control happened. His grandfather's sons died. His dad died. His uncles died. His grandfather in the same battle said, I'm going to fall on my sword and kill myself so that these uncircumcised Philistines do not do it to me. And in one day, his uncles, his father, his grandfather, his entire right to the throne was slaughtered on the battlefield. And to make matters worse, the news comes to his caretaker, his nurse, the Bible says. And his caretaker, knowing that it would be possible that the very life of Mephibosheth would be taken away because he was a rightful heir to the throne, got it up in haste and said, we've got to get out of this place. And in her haste, she dropped him somehow. And something so tragic happened that he was paralyzed from the waist down. 
and for the rest of his life he would never walk again. As he grew up, as he got older, everything that he dreamed of slipped away from him. And he moved to a place in Lodabar, a place called No Pasture. This was the life of Mephibosheth. This is where we've entered into our story today. David's kingdom is great. Everything is as good as it can possibly be for the king. Not so for Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth's life has been life has been ripped out from under his feet. He no longer has any heirs to the throne, and he's living his life in solitude, alone and away. This morning we're going to see a lot of things in our text, and I want to deal with it simply. I want to deal with it from the point of view of Mephibosheth and then from the point of view of David. We're going to notice that Mephibosheth has nothing to offer the kingdom. David didn't go to Mephibosheth because he thought Mephibosheth might somehow enhance the kingdom and make his kingdom more powerful or better. But it was about a relationship. It was about love. You see, that's the real reason God comes to us. It's not because we have something great to offer Him. It's not because His kingdom's going to be so much better if we're in it, but it's because He loves us with a love that cannot be thwarted. It's because He sees in us what nobody else can see. And it's because He desires that we be sons and daughters of His kingdom. We're going to see that David was a man after God's own heart. That David was one that desired to help the fallen. We're going to see that the grace of God is free. It's unsought. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. But just as David sought after Mephibosheth, so does God seek after us. We're going to see that Mephibosheth was simply not the king's child, nor could he be. Nor can a man be a child of God. The problem is we're men. We need somebody to intervene. We need to be adopted into a family that's not our own. You see, there's a sense in man that causes us to think that somehow we can clean ourselves up for God. There's a sense within us instinctively that somehow we think that we want to be in a relationship with God, but there's this area of my life I must correct, and this area of my life I must correct. The problem this morning is not that you have an area in your life you need to correct. The problem is that you are human and that He is God. You are fallen. Born into a fallen race. And you need God to do what only God can. You need grace this morning. The unmerited, undeserved favor of an Almighty God. And there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to clean ourselves up that we might be presentable to God. Just like Mephibosheth, we're hopelessly incapable and incompetent. This story deals with God's approach to the sinner and the sinner's approach to God. So with that said this morning, let's look at Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is the picture of the lost sinner. He's the picture of every one of us. My sermon title this morning, if you want to call it that, I have it on my page. It's me in Mephibosheth. His story is really the story of every one of us. 
First of all, he was born into a rejected family. As the son of Jonathan, God had rejected the throne of Saul and therefore the descendants of Saul. And and Mephibosheth was born into a rejected family. All of us are born into a rejected family concerning the spiritual things of God. We are born sons of Adam and Eve. We are born sinners by nature. It does not matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young your children are. Instinctively, they're sinners. Some of you have heard me make the statement before, but it's worth stating again. You put two toddlers in the bathtub together and you put one rubber duck in there and you find out what happens. Instinctively, we're selfish. Instinctively, it's all about me. You don't have to teach your children to lie. Instinctively, they know that if I lie about this thing, I might get out of trouble. I I might trick my mom or dad. And it just comes out at a very young age. Why? Because we are born into a rejected family. Every one of us. Doesn't matter how rich you are. Doesn't matter how poor you are. Doesn't matter what family name you have or what family name you don't have. Every single one of us here, under the sound of my voice, we are born into a rejected family concerning the kingdom of God, concerning the things of God. And because we are born into a rejected family in and of ourselves, we are hopelessly doomed to be rejected forever unless somebody intervenes. Unless somebody, like King David says, is there someone I can show kindness to? Is there someone that I can go to and rescue out of that place of Lodabar? Is there someone that I can give life to? And glory to God this morning, there are many of you here under the sound of my voice that one day you were that someone that God came and rescued and changed your life forever. You were not worthy. You were born a rejected sinner, but God loved you anyways and came to you and changed you forevermore. This is the story of Mephibosheth. It's my story. It's your story. The question this morning is, are you still in Lodabar? Have you come out yet? Because the king is called. Not only is he born in a rejected family, but he experienced a fall. And he could not work, walk. Mephibosheth was lame in both of his feet. He couldn't walk. He couldn't do the things he wanted to do. You know, this is an important lesson for sinners to get a hold of, but I think it's equally important for the church to remember. We can't walk for God without His strength. You can't clean yourself up enough to make yourself right with God. It is a miserable endeavor. And the reason that it's a miserable endeavor is because no matter how well you do it on the outside, and no matter how well you go through the motions, you know your heart. You know the things you think, the things you feel, the things you desire, the things you lust for, the things you long after, and you know that it's wicked, that it's desperately wicked, that it's not of God. And to try to clean yourself up in such a way where you finally feel presentable to God will never happen. Because just like Mephibosheth, we can't walk for God without God's strength to allow us to do so. This morning, if you are lost, this morning, if you need saved, this morning, if you need born again, listen to the preacher. There's nothing you can do 
in and of yourself to make yourself right with God. You'll spend your entire life and it won't work. You need the grace of an almighty God. You need God to come to you where you're at. And listen to me this morning, He will. He'll come to you in your mess. He'll come to you in your weakness. He'll come to you when you're unable to walk and you're unable to serve Him and you're unable to surrender Him. He'll come to you in that place and He'll say, come to me, child. And when you surrender to Him, He'll give you the strength that you need to serve Him the way that you ought to serve Him. And as I said, brothers and sisters, we need to remember this. We can do nothing without Christ. Nothing. You can't walk for God in the power of your own flesh. You've got to walk in the power of the Spirit. You've got to walk in the power of Christ that Christ gives. Mephibosheth was born in a rejected family. He experienced a fall and he could not walk. And the Bible says that he was living in Lodabar. Lodabar got its name because of its location. The word Lodabar means no pasture. That's what it means. It was a place where animals couldn't live. It was basically a barren desert wasteland. Now, because it was a barren desert wasteland, there wasn't a lot of people that traveled through there. There was not a lot of community. It was a great place to spend your life if you wanted to be isolated away from society and live unbothered, which is exactly what Mephibosheth wanted. He was missing the best in life. What a picture of the sinner. No pasture. No rest for the soul. You continue to hunger and thirst and your hunger's never satisfied. Your thirst never goes away. It is like you are constantly in the barren desert wasteland of Lodabar, no pasture, where constantly you are famished in your soul. This is the life of the sinner. I know because I've been there. We can put on our, our happy face and our, 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 really what is our pride face. We were unwilling to acknowledge that my sins have me in a place that I hate living. You know what the world offers? The place of Lodabar, it, it, it offers a cherry pie on a silver platter. But when you eat it, it turns to gravel in your mouth and it's not fulfilling like you thought it would be. It offers water that says will quench the longing of your soul but as soon as you put it in your mouth, it turns bitter and you don't even want to swallow it. This world is a wicked, evil place. It teaches us something else about Mephibosheth. First of all, Mephibosheth had experienced a fall. Can I say something for a moment? before I deal with Mephibosheth's own responsibility. What happened to him happened to him at five years old. There are a lot of tragic things to ha that happen to kids. Often they're so tragic we don't want to talk about it. In a crowd this size, there are multitudes in this place who have had tragic things happen to you that you don't want to talk about. And it's not fair. And it's not right. And just like Mephibosheth, it may have ruined your life for a long period of time. 
And if we're not careful, we'll become just like Mephibosheth. Then we'll get angry and we'll get bitter at things that happen out of our control. And we'll question God. God, why did you let me fall? And why did you let my dad die? And why did you let my grandfather die? And why did you let me be paralyzed at five years old? Why am I in this place? And you'll grow bitter and you'll grow angry and you'll grow despondent. That's one side of the coin. This morning, I want to flip that coin over and I want to deal with it. Mephibosheth moved to Lodabar. The Bible tells us Mephibosheth had a son. So we know that Mephibosheth is now a man. That somewhere in his own life, he made the conscious decision, this is where I will live. This is what my life will look like. This is how my existence will be. And this is how I will live the rest of my days. Brothers and sisters, there comes a time that we start taking responsibility for our own actions. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. If you were hurt as a child, I am sorry. God hates suffering. But we live in a real world with a real devil and a real God. And until, as, as long as the world is as we know it, until God says time is no more and the judgment comes, the prince of this world is the devil. And he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And when I see all the pain and the harm in this world, I think to myself, Lord, won't you come? God put an end to it. But the reality is, had God come yesterday, and had God put an end to all the suffering, and had God dealt with every wicked man and every wicked woman that's ever hurt somebody in this world, there are people under the sound of my voice that hell would be where you would be forever on this day if judgment had come yesterday. And you ought to thank God that He's patient and long-suffering, that He's loved you enough to give you one last chance. And as long as He waits, there will be suffering. There comes a time we have to own our responsibilities, folks. When I was 15 years old, my life spiraled out of control. Started using drugs. Started selling drugs. This is a difficult topic for me to talk about here in front of my parents. But I want to do it for a purpose. And I want you to see something this morning, and I pray that you get a hold of this. By the time I was a senior in high school, I was so messed up. I was using cocaine three or four times a day throughout the day. I carried it everywhere that I went. I remember overdosing my senior year. I started using needles shortly thereafter. I got into crime. And I want to say something. The fact that I did what I did probably would not have happened had my parents had more restrictions upon me and not allowed me to use drugs in the home. Thank God both my parents are saved now and are serving God. I'm telling you, I'm talking to you about a story now that's 14 years old. But I have, I have a reason for sharing this. I've told that story before. And you know the kind of common attitude is this. Well, that's so sad. That you were raised up in a home like that. That's so sad. Your parents didn't, 
do this or do that. Is it? Is it really that sad? That I did at 15, both my friends did, most of my friends did at 20? What I did at 15 revealed a whole lot more about me than it does my parents. The fact is, I didn't have restraint. And because I didn't have restraint, the real me had the ability to flourish. It wasn't my parents' fault I did what I did. It was me. I was desperately wicked, selfish and lustful. All I cared about was me and what I wanted. And when the restraint was moved away, I became wicked and I became evil and I became a criminal. And everything that I wanted to do, I did because I was wicked. It's not my parents' fault. That's why most people just wait till they're 18 or 19. They get out from underneath restraint. And when they come out from under the restraint, the real them really starts to show. You see, there's young people here under the sound of my voice listening to the preacher carefully this morning. Your righteousness might, really not, might not really be your righteousness at all. You might just be under the restraint of your parents. You might just be under the restraint of someone else's morals and to keep things as calm as they can be in the house, you obey the rules. But the reality is, if your heart does not belong to God, the moment the restraint comes off, the real you will be unleashed and you will see just how wicked you really are. There comes a time we've got to own our own responsibilities. I didn't do what I did because my parents didn't restrain me properly. I did what I did because I was desperately wicked. I just had the opportunity to prove it a lot sooner than most. Now that's the truth. How long are you going to hide under what happened to you as a reason to sin against God? How long are you going to hide under the pain that took place in your life as an excuse to live in Lodabar, the place of no pasture? There comes a time we've got to own our own responsibility in this and flip that coin over and say, you know what, I'm not doing what I did and I didn't do what I did because I was raised this way or because this person hurt me. The reason I'm doing what I do is because the restraint has been removed away from me and I am desperately wicked and I need a Savior. That's the truth. This morning I ask you young people who are still in the home, Is your righteousness yours? Do you really love God? What would happen if the restraints were moved off of you? Where would you go? What would you do? What would your life become? Because that really reveals the real you. When you have the opportunity to serve God freely and not by force, then we find out where your heart and where your loyalty really lies. This is why God calls us to serve Him freely. This is why God won't force anybody here this morning to get saved. This is why God may at this very moment be moving in your heart and stirring your soul and dealing with your sins, and yet He will not force you to repent. He will not force you to your knees. He will not force you to turn to Him. He will only stand with arms wide open and say, I love you and I've shown you truth. And if you come to Me, I will give you pasture. I will give you water. I will give you food. I will make you My son. I will make you My daughter. But you must be willing to come. Mephibosheth was missing the best. 
He moved to Lodabar. I believe one of the reasons he moved there was to move away from the constant reminder of what he was missing. This is often what people do when they're running from God. They try to get as far away from God's people as possible. Avoid him in the Walmart hallway. Avoid him wherever they can. Because you don't want to be reminded of what you're missing. Finally, can I say that Mephibosheth would have perished without David's help? You know, Mephibosheth was not even thinking there in his in his paralyzed state, there with his his legs lame after years in Lodabar. Mephibosheth was not sitting there thinking one day, I wonder if I could go to the king's palace and be treated like a king's son and eat at the king's table and have all that my grandfather Saul had restored to me. He never had that thought cross his mind. But David was thinking, of someone he could show kindness to. This morning, there's somebody that walked in this place. And when you walked in, you weren't thinking the slightest thought. Maybe today, God is going to speak to my heart and wash it white as snow and take me in as His own and change my life forever. You just thought you were going to come through a church service and... Do your thing and go on your way. But God Himself, just like David sought Mephibosheth, is seeking you this morning. The providence and love of God has set you in the very seat that you're in. Oh, how God loves us. This is real this morning, folks. This is real. These are not stories, fairy tales, fables. The fact that the God of heaven and earth truly loves you is real. He's here this morning. Some of you feel Him stirring in your heart something you've never felt stirred before. Don't turn Him away. He would have perished without David's help. We would have perished without God's help too. Had God not intervened and came to us, when we couldn't even walk, when we had no hope, He came to us and loved us. So that's Mephibosheth's story. Let's look at it through the eyes of David quickly this morning and I'll be done. Notice that David made the first move. Salvation is of the Lord and God always makes the first move. I remember I thought that I was seeking God, but really God was seeking me. Somewhere in this cold, dead heart of mine that cared about nobody and nothing except me and what I wanted, all of a sudden one day, I started thinking about God. Why? Because He was stirring me up. Because He started seeking me. He made the first move. God always makes the first move. God made the first move when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this world to be clothed in human flesh, to be born of a virgin. And when He he lived 33 years on this earth, a sinless life, and died for the sacrifice of all the sins of mankind, God made the first move. 
And this morning in the hearts of many of you, He made the first move in bringing you here and speaking truth to your heart because He loves you. Notice that David called him personally. And he came. David said, who is it? He wanted to know the name. You know, God doesn't have to ask your name. He knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows the pain you've been through. He knows the suffering story of your life. He knows all your questions. He knows all your doubts. He knows all your fears. He knows all your sins. He knows the extent of your wickedness. He knows your thoughts. He knows the motivations of your heart. And yet, just like David, sent from Mephibosheth this morning, he stands with arms wide open and says, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Come out of that land of Lodabar. Come out of that land of, of pretending to be happy when you're not full when you're empty. You're thirsty and dry this morning and God says, I know it. He's the source of life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. You'll never be filled until you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and righteousness only. Notice that David took him into his own family. In verse 11, he shall be like one of the king's sons. God's interested in making sons and daughters. This morning, are you a son? Are you a daughter? Does your life reflect it? I'm not asking if you believe that God is real. I'm not asking if you believe the Bible. I'm asking you a pointed question. Are you a son of God? A child of the King? God's daughter. Have you been saved? If you haven't, you need to be. Today's a day of salvation. If you are, this message is good for you too. It reminds us of how God came to us. It reminds us of the gracious love of our Father. It reminds us of what we have to be thankful for and the reality that all that we have is because of Him. David took him into his own family. David spoke peace to him. David said in verse 7, Do not fear. And I tell you this morning, don't fear coming to the King. Don't fear it. Trust me, it's a whole lot worse to say no to Him and go back out and keep living the way that you're living. It is much worse. You don't have to fear coming to the king. He didn't invite you to his table to eat and dine to punish you and make you feel small. 
Oh, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He invited you to the table to sup with Him, to live with Him, to know what it is to be full, to know what it is to be satisfied, to know what it is to drink from the water of the well of which you will never thirst again when you drink of His water. That is why He's invited you to come this morning. And you need not fear what will happen when you totally surrender to Him and fall at the feet of the King. Don't fear serving God. Finally, as our worship team comes, David provided for Mephibosheth's every need. David provided for Mephibosheth's every need. You know, God wants to provide for your needs. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, possibly financially. I don't like talking about financial too much as we live in the prosperity gospel days. We don't understand poverty. Now, I deal with poverty. I know what it is. And there are people who do live in poverty. But the average idea of poverty in our country, you still have a home, you still got heating and air, you still got cable, you still got a cell phone, you still got food, and enough money to buy cigarettes and pay for tattoos. And that's poverty in this country. So I'm careful when I say God does bless us in every area, including financially. That doesn't mean you're going to be a millionaire and that you're never going to have money problems. What God's more concerned about is your eternal soul. What good is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What good? What are you trying to gain this morning? What good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? This morning, God has come to where you are. Some of you are in the land of Lodabar. Would you come to God? Would you fall before Him and say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins? Can I tell you the day that I got saved, I got radically saved. I mean, I have never looked back. But I want you to know something. I didn't know the story of the Bible. I didn't know the theology that Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on a cross and shed His blood for my sins. I didn't know any of that. I knew that God was dealing with my heart and that I was a sinner in danger. And the only thing I could say was, I'm sorry. When I got saved, those are the only two words I prayed. And I said it over and over and over and over and over again. That's all I could say. God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I share that with you because I want you to know something. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to be able to answer all the questions on a test or be some theologian to be saved. You've got to get real before God acknowledge that you're a sinner. That's what I was doing when I told God I was sorry. I acknowledged what I was doing was wrong. I'd sinned against God. Therefore, asking His forgiveness. And then you get up and you start serving Him. You repent of your sins. You leave the old things in the past and you start serving God. That's what you do. And you just take it one step at a time. One day at a time. You might fall flat on your face. Correction. You will fall flat on your face. Get up. 
Get up. There's a devil that's out to steal, kill, and destroy and stop you from serving God. Every other fight that we ever watch, eventually the victor stops. You watch a boxing fight and a man swings and hits a guy and knocks him out and the man falls to the ground. What does the victor do? He stands back. Fight's over. You watch fist fights. Eventually there comes a time when one guy's had enough and the victor stops. I'm the victor. Not so with the devil. He will stand over the top of you with his foot on your throat until you die if he has to. He doesn't have the respect that men have for one another. Even those who fight each other. You're going to fall. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up and serve the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saved and you just need to get up and start serving God again. But maybe you're here and just like Mephibosheth, you're still in the land of Lodabar. God's dealt with your heart. I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning and give your heart to the Lord. Father, I pray that you'd move all across this room. Finish what you've started. Pray, God, I said only what you'd have me to say. Let your word that's gone forth this morning burn our hearts, Lord, like fire on grass. Right now, let our excuses fall to the ground. Let the chains that hold people back come off. Set people free this morning to serve You. To come out of Lodabar and pull up to the King's table. Seems like all I can see was a struggle Haunted by ghosts
Shake off these heavy chains, wipe away every sin. 